Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, this is Joe, Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hope you're doing well. I want to show you my shirt. I don't know if you can see, you can't see it really right now, but it says gymnastics dad, but the only thing I flip is my wallet. Do you see that? <laughs> anyway, thought I'd wear my gymnastics dad t-shirt today for this podcast. It has nothing to do with real estate, but uh, glad you guys are here. We got a special interview today with a friend of mine named Mike Marshall, and we're going to be talking about something you've probably never heard of, but it's called land entitlements. And it's about how to add value to your vacant land that you're selling without even touching it or doing anything with it. And if you're like scratching your head, like, what is that? Well, we're going to find that out because I don't know anything about it either. Mike was recommended to me from a mutual friend. And I thought, now that'd be cool to get him on the show. And I didn't want, I saved all of my questions for this podcast so we can ask him live uh, in front of a live studio audience. All right. So I'm glad you guys are here. Welcome. Uh, if you can right now, if you're watching us live on Facebook or YouTube, please type in the comments down below. Tell us hi, tell us hello, tell us where you're from. Really appreciate it. And if you're listening to this on the audio podcast, glad you guys are here. I really am. Uh, you guys are awesome. We are in literally, I, I look at the stats all the time and we are in the top, top percentage of podcasters. Um, in terms of downloads, number of episodes, the length that we've been doing it. You audience, you guys are amazing. And I appreciate all of you listening to this podcast for years now. We've been doing this since 2011. So over 11 years now, over 1100 episodes, and we're still going strong. I'm going to be doing this for a long, long time. So I'm glad you guys are here. Sam, what's up, Sam, from the wonderful state of Minnesota? Well, that's debatable. I'm just kidding. Hey, Terry, Sue McKee, what's going on? And Facebook user, I don't know who you are, but Julie, hi. From Lakeland, Florida. Glad you're here. So we got people all over the world watching this right now. In fact, if you look at my stats, we've got listeners in over 170 different countries. Well, maybe while Mike is talking, I'll count them. But it's yeah, this like in the hundreds of countries that well, almost uh, there's only like well, 120 countries. There you go. It's right there. There's not that many countries in the world. But yeah, it's amazing. People all over the world. I'm looking at my list right here. You guys are incredible. Number one country next to the United States is Germany. 23,800 downloads in the last few months. France, 18,000. Who who are my people in France listening to this? What's going on, guys? We're planning a trip to Paris in about a year and a half. The UK, 16,000. Netherlands, 12,000. Canada, whatever, 11,000. Just kidding. Cambodia is up there. Australia, Singapore, Belgium, Brazil, the Philippines, Spain, Mexico, French Polynesia, Japan, Thailand, Morocco, and I could go on and on and on. This is amazing. Glad you guys are here, especially my homeboys and girls in Germany. I don't know even, I forget how to say hi in Germany, but <laughs> I'll find out. But I'm glad you guys are here. Thanks for being on the show. And enough of that, right? Let's just get Mike Marshall here. Mike Marshall, how are you, sir? Good. How are you doing today? Good. Sorry, I was just geeking out. I was looking at my stats and I got so excited. I wanted to say hi to everybody listening to this podcast. Oh, it was impressive. Gosh, man. Man, it's yeah. amazing. All right. So, Mike, where do you where are you from? Where do you live? I am in Southern California right now. That's where I'm living. Okay. Now, right now, that means you just moved there recently? or Oh, that means I'm, means I'm departing soon. Yeah, we're going to be moving to Texas in about a month. <laughs> we're not going to talk about politics, but I'm, I'm going to guess that maybe politics has something to do with this. Has a good chunk to do with it. That's true. <laughs> God bless the USA. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I get it. So many yeah. people are leaving California. It's crazy. Yeah. They're leaving California. They're going to Vegas. They're going to Texas. They're going to Florida. And I wonder why, but that's all we'll say because <laughs> I get the hate mail every time I bring up politics. <laughs> right. Exactly. All right. Anyway, Mike, what do you do? Yeah. You know what I do? Well, over the last 15 plus years, you know, I've been in the land development side of real estate and um, most specifically within land use entitlements, which is really kind of like the initial phase of the development process. And I've been doing that, like I said, for 15 plus years, you know, everything from custom single family homes to medical office buildings to, you know, large 1200, you know, lot residential subdivisions to most recently like a movie studio campus, you know, and so it's been the gamut of development type projects. And again, all focused within this realm of entitlements. All right. So we're going to ask you what entitlements are here in a minute. Um, but talk a little bit about your history. Have you been doing land for a long time or are you just? Yeah, you know, really my history has been, I kind of had a hand in a lot of different types of real estate over the years, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, buy and hold rental property. And then eventually kind of got into the land flipping thing just because it was something that was familiar to me within um, the world of what I was doing on a professional level. And so I started doing that probably back in 2018. And then just kind of quickly realized how the knowledge and experience that I had could really help other investors. And so I started really working with different people on um, like due diligence related items, and then ultimately kind of transitioning into, you know, how can we add value with these entitlements? And so it's been a progression over the years kind of leading to this point. All right. So what on earth are entitlements? Right. So entitlements, again, are like the first part of the development process. And if I were to kind of break the development process into three chunks, you have the entitlement process, and then you maybe have like the engineering process, and then you have your building permit process. And so most folks are very familiar with the concept of building permits, but early on in the process, there's these land use entitlements. And really what they are is that it's a set of approvals that are granted for a piece of property. And essentially what it does is it provides certainty for the developer. And so what I'm talking about is like an approval for, let's say, a medical office building. And those approvals require the review of a variety of different things, you know, architecture, the land use itself for the zone that it's in, you know, landscaping, parking, environmental review. There's a variety of different aspects that goes into it. And depending on where you're at in the world and, you know, what kind of project you're going through, it could be a relatively short process or it could be a relatively lengthy process. But the whole end value of all of it is, is that at the end of that approval process, there's certainty that's attached to the project, that's attached to that piece of property. And that certainty is really what creates the ultimate value. So you're creating, you're changing the zoning maybe, which is that the good way you could say it? You're changing the zoning of the property from something else to something new that's going to make it more valuable. Right. So the entitlement's name is pretty much like a larger umbrella. Then underneath that, there's a variety of different entitlements. And one of the most basic ones would be like a subdivision. And then a zone change would be another one. Um, sometimes there's something called a site plan review, which is a very basic level review. Then there's, you know, annexations. If you're trying to bring a property into a city, there's, um, like I said, zone changes. There's, you know, a variety of other types of entitlements that fall under this, you know, umbrella. And depending on where you are, you can utilize them in really creative ways to add value. Interesting. So how'd you get into this? It's professionally, you know, um, I had an interest in real estate going, you know, through college and everything like that. And then I ended up working for a local city. And then not until I worked for that city in a completely different capacity did I really realize what land use planning was 
and kind of how it correlated to real estate and real estate development. And so then I just got in through that and worked in jurisdictions in California and Texas over the years. And so, like I said, through that whole experience, I really saw how firsthand how these entitlements had value to them and how they can actually be an asset to a lot of investors. And it's something that they didn't really know about in large part. All right. So let's let's go through some examples. Sure. Pick one. <laughs> I thought you were going to say. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Um, so, like maybe like the, a good example, the most basic level would be um, like a subdivision. If you had a lot that was of a certain size and you could cut it into two pieces, you could go through a subdivision process and then go through a site plan review at the same time. There are two different entitlements that would run concurrently. And ultimately, what you're doing at the end of that process is you can take that entitlement package and hand it over to a developer. And that developer now has that certainty that that can actually be developed. They still have to go through the engineering process and the, and the building permit process, but the heavy lifting at that point's already been done. And so the value is literally this entitlement package. Then the example that I was using would just be the subdivision and the site plan review, and you hand it over to the builder and they run with it. So you and said so there were two entitlements. Mm-hmm. What would those two entitlements be? The, the subdivision and then the site plan review. All right. So the fact that it can be a subdivision, you can mm-hmm. take a 20-acre lot and turn it into two 10-acre lots. Right. Or four or five-acre lots, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so the first entitlement would be, all right, you can make this a subdivision. And the second entitlement is what? You can create a plot plan? So it ultimately is a, a site plan, but you end up submitting to the city or the county as a site plan, a floor plan, and maybe elevations, like how the building looks from the outside. And ultimately what they're approving is they're approving like the building placement. They may be um, approving the architecture. They're approving maybe the setbacks from like the structure to the property lines. Um, they're making sure that it's not within any hazard areas, like if there's a FEMA flood zone or something next to it, or if there's any protected tree species or something like that, you know, that you have to stay away from. So they're they're really working with the site plan to make sure that once it's approved, like this is exactly where the structure's going. This is exactly where any accessory structures are going, any landscaping, any of those things. It's precise and it's approved, and this is the way that it's going to be developed. So who's submitting that? site plan. Right. So that could be really, it's going to be any, any number of people on behalf of the owner usually. And so the owner of the property can come in and play that role as a project manager themselves, or they may have oftentimes a civil engineer who's really the most common land professional that they use on their team. Isn't the developer going to do that though? Well, yeah, and that's the thing. So a developer can do all this, what I'm saying too, but what happens oftentimes is that many developers would rather buy an entitled property rather than going through that entitlement process themselves, where they're making their money is they're making their money going vertical on the property and actually building it out. They don't really want to go and spend the time and the effort in the entitlement process. They'd much rather go and pick it up already entitled. Now they'll go and do it if they have to, they certainly will, but it's much more attractive to them if the property is already entitled in the first place. So, okay, let's say you're going to take this lot, this 20 acres subdivided into four, five acre lots, and you want to put houses on it. When you create the site plan, this is, these are just drawings. Obviously, you're going to have to hire a civil engineer to do it or something, right? Right. And they're going to draw out where the streets might be, where the utilities might go, where the houses might be at, the driveways and things like that, right? But the developer, can they change that if they want? Do they have to follow that exact plan? Right. So in theory, the approval would be showing you exactly where all those things are going. But yes, if somebody wanted to come in and the developer wanted to change any of those things, those things can be changed. There's avenues in which to do that. 
And the severity of that process is directly relative to how far you're deviating from the approved plan. Okay. So I guess you would want to maybe talk to some developers first to see what they would want to do with this property, right? So you kind of know what you're doing going into it. Is that right? Yeah, a lot of times it's really beneficial to go and talk to the developer ahead of time so that way you have a sense for what their product type that they're building or if there's any preferences or things that they're looking to see in terms of what how it ends up. Sometimes, though, the site may be so constrained that there really is only one way to make it work, you know, and, and ultimately that ends up being the product that you end up trying to market. But ultimately, yeah, you really should be having contact and communication with builders beforehand just so you have a sense for what may be an issue for them. All right. So let me ask a stupid question. Why go through this hassle of entitling it? What's the point? Well, the, the point ultimately is, is that the property, and I mean, just by its own nature, un, you know, vacant land is essentially underutilized in most cases as it is already. So it's not necessarily going to be most applicable in the most rural of environments, you know, but as you get towards like if you're in the inner city, the urban core and infill type projects, it certainly applies. But then it also applies as you get towards the urban fringe also. So that portion of any urbanized environment where you start to see more farmland, you know, being still available, but you also see it interspersed with subdivisions and things like that. Those are places where there's this opportunity to really go in and entitle this property and fulfill kind of what's going on in the development of that area as a whole. As you get out into the more really highly rural areas where you may be looking at recreational land and hunting land, you can still go through subdivision processes that will be, you know, really adding a lot of value that way. But maybe like the the menu of entitlements is not as um, useful at that point. So the closer you get towards the urban core, you know, the better off you're going to be in terms of those entitlements. But there's that sweet spot in the urban fringe that is where I tend to like to work. All right. Well, the point then is to take a piece of land that you would have just maybe sold and make five to 10 grand on it. You're not going to do a little bit of work in advance and add some entitlements to sell it for more and make more money. Absolutely. That's exactly the reason. Okay. Can you give us an example maybe of a specific entitlement you worked on Mm -hmm. and talk about the numbers in terms of, you know, about what it was purchased for, what they would have sold it for if they didn't do anything and what they eventually sold it for with the entitlements? Right. So like rough numbers on a real basic subdivision, it could be like, there's one, for example, that it was around $100,000 was the purchase price. It was for, I think it was for about 20 acres, if I'm not mistaken. They cut it into the four fives like you were describing. And then ultimately what they're able to do is they're able to sell each of those five off and they were able to go two and a half times that. So ended up selling for, was that 250 at that point? And so they're more than doubling their money, you know, in that. And there's other ways you can double money, obviously, in standard land flipping by buying low. But one of the advantages of doing this, though, is, is that you can really go to the MLS and you can buy, you know, at or close to retail. And if you can add value, you're not necessarily relying on having to get that steep discount that everybody's usually looking for. Oh, you just piqued my interest a little bit now because you're talking about you could find properties in already listed. In, in specific areas and, and looking at it instead from a different perspective of like, all right, what kind of value can I add here? And then maybe get it under contract. I wonder, like, do you have any clients you work with that maybe get it under some kind of owner financing while they do the work of trying, trying to create these entitlements? Because wouldn't it suck to buy this land and then realize the, the county or the city rejects any kind of entitlements you try to, to add to it? Right. So there's a few things with that. You're absolutely right. You know, one thing that they tend to do would be 
to either they can get under option with an option contract. That's very common in the world of development. That's one way to go. The other way they'll do it is they'll just have you know pretty extensive due diligence periods, something like sixty to ninety days, something in that range. That'll help protect them that way. There's also you know contingencies you can put in for the entitlements themselves, where it basically says if these entitlements don't get approved, then you have a way to get out of the, the, the deal that way. That'll cost you you know to kind of have those you know contingencies in place, but that's one way to go about it too. Okay, so on that twenty thousand dollar, I mean, sorry, on that twenty acre lot you're just talking about. Mm-hmm. About how much time does it take to create those entitlements and about how much does it cost? To create? Right, good question. It really, unfortunately, that, that's a question a lot of folks have, and it's just it varies so much based on the jurisdiction that you're in. But as you can imagine, in places where there's a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of red tape, it's going to take longer and it's going to take be more expensive. I'll give you an, an example of a, a rezoning project, you know, in that, you know, to rezone a property in Michigan, I was talking to somebody, they're rezoning it for a development project, and it took them about six weeks and about $700 to go through the process. That was the good side. The bad side out in California to do the same thing, it would take you at least a year, and it would probably be about the realm of about $35,000 just in application fees. That's not professional services or anything like that. That's just application fees. (laughs) So it can be very different. More risk. Right, exactly. But then at the same time, there's a little bit more reward in some of those markets just because of the property value. All right. So somebody who does that in California, for example, is probably going to need to close on the deal and and buy it during that that longer process. That's true. The the thing that I see a lot of folks do too, and I I personally like this approach too, is just to kind of JV with the actual landowner too. And so if you can JV with the landowner and they're providing the land and you're providing the expertise and maybe you're even paying for the entitlement costs and everything like that, then you can just split the upside after sale too. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's the way I like to go. All right. So let's talk about, Mike, I know it varies a lot by area, but what kind of land are you looking for to add these entitlements in? Yeah. So there's kind of like I was talking about before, I divide it into like these three categories. You know, you have like the urban core yeah. and you have the fringe and then you have out in the very rural areas. I tend to look at, you know, either the urban core or the fringe areas primarily. And it's just because of where my experience base is. I know there's a lot of folks that do great at subdividing, you know, these recreational tracks and do amazing at it. For me, I think that there's just a little bit, there's more, what it is, is there's more regulation. There's more red tape in those other areas. And if you know how to untangle it, that's where you're going to get the value out of it. So when I'm looking at certain properties, there's a few things I look for. One of them is what I call underutilized properties. And these underutilized properties, and they're all over the place, but imagine a scenario where you have a property that's zoned for commercial use, but it has a single family home on it. That is a property that's underutilized based on its current zoning designation. It's not meeting its full potential as it sits right now today. And so you could go into that situation and you can take that property and you can go and get an entitlement on it, let's say for a multifamily project or for a commercial project under its current zoning. In that situation, you don't have to change any zoning at all. You're just going to develop out according to what the existing standards are. Those are real goldmine type of opportunities too. And there's ways to kind of utilize the data providers that are out there to really utilize or kind of focus in on those opportunities. But you have to understand the zoning of the city or the county that you're working in to be able to pick the correct zones and apply the correct criteria and filters to like, say, data tree or something like that to be able to get an automated list of those kind of opportunities. And well, so that's in that example where there's where there's a com- it's zone commercial and there's a residential house on it. Mm-hmm. What would you what would you want to do with that? What could you do with that? 
Well, I think the first thing that I do is I try to keep a tenant in there as long as I can as I go through the entitlement process. That'd be the first thing. And then the next thing is I'm trying to look and see if I can do a multifamily project of some kind more than likely in, in today's market just because of the housing shortages that are out there. And so I'm going to look to see if there's a way to get additional density you know, on that property. Oh. And so what was a one you know, unit single family house may now be able to be a four unit you know, condo project or something like that. You know, um, There was one property that we were working on that was like that. It was a single family house that was built probably in the 30s. Eventually, it started falling apart, got boarded up, bought the property. And today it's going into its uh, building permit phase and it's going to be 14 condo units with like, you know, views over a good part of LA and everything. And so, you know, there's those opportunities that exist, you know, and especially in kind of older communities where maybe the zoning has been in place for a long time. And it's just an, another type of inefficiency that exists in real estate. Interesting. So can, would it be, would it be okay if we looked at a few properties here in St. Louis, Missouri, as an example of this? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, this will be good. I'm going to share my screen here. Those of you watching on YouTube and Facebook, welcome. And the rest of you listening on audio, my apologies. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to show this because this kind of, I want to put it in context. And, and I wanted to look at a house that I actually drive by all the time. This is an area, if I were to show it to you in a satellite view, it's kind of an area that is more industrial, commercial. It used to be a floodplain, but they built this huge 500-year levee system. And now there's a ton of new commercial development out here. And it's kind of crawling, all these commercial buildings and stuff are crawling out this way. But there is a odd-shaped property here. There's a single-family house. They just built this warehouse right here. And there's a single-family house right here for sale for $965,000. And the lot, if you look at it, it's this long rectangle right here. And I couldn't believe they were asking this much for this house. And if I'll show you the details of the pictures here. And you can see in the description, fabulous two plus acres with an all brick structure. This piece offers roughly 132 feet of street frontage close to Chesterfield Airport Road. And there's an airport right next to it. Outlet Mall and Highway 64. Purpose, perfect location for a business. There's a two car attached garage. Inside, there's a large unfinished basement, two bathrooms and three bedrooms. All right. And if we look at the photos, you can see the house. It looks like a normal house, but it's like it's on this weird lot in the satellite photo is not showing this new kind of warehouse thing that was built right next to it. But the house looks nice. The lady who used to live in it used to sell eggs and honey all the time. <laughs> you drive wow. by, uh, you'd see all these signs and you could get uh, honey because she somehow grew up back there. Okay, there's the, the warehouse that was built right next to it. And the airport is right back there. So th maybe there's nothing you can do with this house, but it's an example maybe of a property that's kind of weird. It's in a commercial area, um, but there's it's a it's a residence. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, this makes perfect sense. Yeah, I, I think in this situation, I mean, this is really exactly what I was talking about with underutilized properties. I would assume that that the zoning has changed from what it was originally at one day. One day, maybe it was, you know, residential or maybe even an agricultural type zoning designation. Yeah. Since that time, it's changed to something that's more business park or industrial type of zoning designation. What this is called is what they call as a legal nonconforming, meaning that the house is legal because it was legally built under the original zoning, but it's nonconforming with today's current standards. Okay. And, and ultimately... 
yeah, this is definitely not its highest and best use. You know, I hate to say tear down the house, but in all reality, that's probably where the highest and best use would be, especially given the, the acreage size that's there. And especially, you know, given the the proximity to the airport, the notion of putting residential homes in there probably isn't appropriate. And honestly, the zoning probably isn't appropriate for it either. So, So as I look at it, I think this is like a perfect example for a commercial development. And so in terms of entitlements, you know, it probably isn't a subdivision, but you're definitely looking at a site plan review of some kind. And then if there's any other entitlements that may be associated based on the land use that's being proposed, there may be other things there. But at minimum, I think there's an opportunity to get this, you know, entitlement package all set up and ready to, you know, hand over to a developer. Absolutely. But they're asking a god awful amount for this thing. They're asking $965,000. Yeah. So, so obviously that happens all the time. I mean, they're asking like these pro forma numbers. Well, geez. I mean, they say the options are endless with this piece. Properties being sold as is, seller to make no repairs. I mean, I know I know you don't know this market in this area, yeah. but that is a lot. I mean, even if it was a nice house, you're mm-hmm. pushing the limits, right? I think you're buying the land, really. You yeah. know, you're not really buying the house, and, and they're really pricing it based off of what they know. See, this is a scenario where the owner knows what the zoning is of the property. It's obvious they saw the building go up right next to them, so they know that there's more value to the land than probably just the house is worth in of itself. Now, whether it's worth 965 or not, that that's the other, you know, question and you have to go through a model of sorts, something that's called a residual land analysis and there's a variety of other names to it too, but you do this residual land analysis that starts with kind of the end product in mind and starts deducting, you know, the cost of development and profit and things like that to kind of back into a number. All right, well let's let's look maybe instead now at some other, if I'm going to go back to street map, I'm going to zoom out to the entire St. Louis metro area. And I'm going to go here to home type land, which is surprising in St. Louis County, this area, there's a 1,272. Right now, these are MLS listed properties. And when I look at this, I think, wow, that's crazy. So if you're looking at your urban core, I'm going to draw an area kind of around the whole urban core of St. Louis, just the Missouri side. And we'll get out here kind of in the suburbs a little bit. Okay. Okay. Is that good? Kind of a yeah, recording all that? Yeah, absolutely. All right. There's 494 pieces of, of vacant lots there. You know, I'm look, if I sort it from price low to high, there's lots for 6,500. And if I sort it the other way, 5.5 million, 3.3 million, 2 million. Okay. So if you're looking for maybe an area to look for properties that are going to be a good property to do, do this entitlement thing. Would you be looking in the kind of the suburbs or would you be looking in the city? Maybe some of the areas with the better school districts, what would you be doing? Yeah. So I think what I would look at first is like, you know, if there is a path of growth in the city, what direction is, is that headed in general? That's probably like the first kind of indicator for me. Okay. To start looking there. It would be to the South and kind of to the West outside okay. of my drawing. Gotcha. Okay. So, you so I would start out- focusing on those areas. All right, well, let's look at let's look at the area to the west. I'm going to do a new draw. The path of growth would be, uh, let's do something like this. All right, 150 lots. I could have gone up more actually. Let me do let me do this one more time. Sure. I hope you guys don't mind watching this right now on on the podcast and YouTube world. All right, 262 vacant lots. Now, what are you looking for? I think from here, what I start looking at is, okay, well, how many different jurisdictions are in that area? I want to identify, 
you know, if there's any incorporated cities, I want to know who those are. And then I also want to know any unincorporated county areas as well, because ultimately what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be looking at um, the zoning for each within each of those jurisdictions. Because if I'm trying to do like a subdivision play, for example, the minimum lot size that's going to be required is going to be based on the zoning designation. Um, It's not as simple as looking at it and saying, oh, you know, hey, a one acre parcel would work here or a five acre parcel would work here. You have to be able to understand what the zoning actually requires. And in order to do that, you need to know which jurisdictions you're actually you know, looking at within this you know, box that you've created. Well, should we do like, should we just search for five plus acres? Sure, you could do that. I mean, and, that, and I think that's reasonable too, because that usually in most jurisdictions, you're going to be able to do some sort of subdivision with that. All right. So the cheapest then is 75,000. And this is an area called Hickory Creek, which is right down here. It's a good area because it's, it's in an area where there's only like one from the city. Yeah, it's, it's a small town. It's a, it's a rural area, but Washington right here is kind of growing. Um, so here's another property kind of at the corner. But if we looked at this one for 75, this looks to me like a, it's got a paved road. It's, set, it's called Lot 8, so it's probably already part of an HOA. Right. Subdivision, Hickory Creek subdivision. There's not much you could do with that then, is there? Right. From a subdivision perspective, likely not. The most that you might be able to do is that whole site plan review concept where you get the house approved and then hand that over to a builder. While you can certainly do that, that's probably like the one of the least or lesser leveraged, you know, plays that you can do, but that is possible. No restrictions here. I like that, right? Yeah. That's a good sign. Absolutely. If it says no restrictions here, beautiful secluded property in a gorgeous area with lots of privacy, total of 7.94 acres, two lots for the price of one. They're asking, uh, it's 7.9 acres. They're asking $78,000. This is in a St. Louis County, but this is interesting, currently located close to St. Louis County, but with Franklin County taxes. So it's in the Franklin County. And let's look at the photos real quick. It's very wooded, which is common in this area. It's got a paved road, almost eight acres. It's two different lots. There is some houses outside of it, it looks like maybe, from a satellite view. Got it. And then if I were to look at a map here and satellite view. So there's some homes out here, but no restrictions. So what do you think of this? So when I hear no restrictions, what I'm hoping they're going to say is that there's no zoning at all. Okay. You know, and so if there's no zoning at all, that tends to be pretty good from a lot of perspectives. What that ultimately would mean is that maybe the minimum lot size is based on something in their subdivision ordinance. And so that's one of the first things I want to figure out is I want to figure out, well, really, what's the minimum lot size that I could cut this down to if, if I absolutely wanted to do that? Because in this type of situation, again, there's not a lot, you're not looking at a commercial development where there's a lot of entitlements that have to be taken care of. In this situation, it's the subdivision and it's the site plan review. And that's probably going to be about it in terms of the entitlements that you use to add value. So the most important one being the subdivision, I want to find out how small I can cut this down to. And then I want to figure out what the process actually is as well. Okay, interesting. Yeah, this is fascinating. I appreciate you me you letting me put you on the spot like this. Oh, sure. To look at some of these properties because it it just depends on a lot of things. The clients that you work with, what percent of them will actually well, let me stop my screen share here. What percent of them are actually finding these deals through their own, you know, like direct mail 
or are yeah. going to the MLS looking for properties that are already listed? Right. So most of the people that I work with come from the land investing and land flipping world where they've been taught to do the um, direct mail approach. And so most of them are still doing the direct mail thing. Um, some of them are gravitating over into text message marketing as well. I try to advocate strongly for, you know, really working with local, you know, land specialized agents, kind of creating those relationships, um, making sure you tell them what it is that you're looking for and you're in good communication and hopefully they're feeding you deals that way. And then I also advocate honestly for the MLS too, and that you can find opportunities on there. If you can learn to see what others can't see or don't want to go through, then there's opportunities that are there. So I don't, I don't say that anyone should abandon the whole direct mail approach. I just try to get people to consider that they should add this other part into it. Okay. Um, but to answer your question specifically, you know, most of them are still doing the direct mail approach. Okay. Got one more question for you. Let's say, you know, and, and maybe I could find some examples here, but let's say you're kind of in an area that's in the city and there's vacant lots. I'll need to change my filter here. You know, somebody finds a quarter acre lot in the city and um, there's some older homes around it, but it's not, it's not necessarily a commercial. I'm trying to find a good example as I talk here. Mm-hmm. Maybe here's a good example. I'm going to open this up and share my screen here. So this is a vacant lot where there are some homes already built and it's listed for sale. They're asking 50 grand. This is in, and let me show you in a map where it is. So it's right here. Downtown St. Louis is here. The suburbs where I live are out here. This is an area that's kind of older, but it's, it's still very desirable. Um, it's a very good area. If you get a home in here, it, you know, it's, you can, if you have a decent three, four bedroom home, you can sell it for $500,000, $600,000. Gotcha. If I zoom in, some of these homes are going to be older. You can see there's a vacant lot right here next to a graveyard. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and, but it's got some homes here. And if right. we were to go to Street View, it's just vacant, but scrolling over, well, you know, this is an older area, but there's newer construction here, which is interesting. Yeah. Let me zoom on forward a little bit. You can tell these are newer constructions. Most of the homes in this area, there's the uh, graveyard. If I scroll out here, okay, see, so here's, and for this neighborhood, here's the typical home. Ah, I know I'm going through this really weird and fast, but a lot of these over here are going to be older brick homes. All right. So cool. this is a, you know, almost a half acre lot, 0.4 acres in a suburban, I mean, in a, in a rural, it's not, it's an urban area. All right. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that can be done with something like this? Sure. I, I think that um, there's a couple things to point out on here and that with subdivisions, for example, in this situation, there's, I was talking earlier about minimum lot size, and that's really important to consider because in this scenario, you want to hopefully see that the um, the minimum lot size is less than half of the size of the lot, right? So okay. if it's a half acre, you want to see that the minimum lot size is no more than a quarter of an acre so you can get that second lot. But a similar concept applies, but when it applies to um, road frontage also. And so in each zone, they're going to have a requirement for the minimum amount of road frontage that you have to have for each lot. And that might be something like 40 feet, 50 feet, what have you. And that's going to be the the um, width of the property as it fronts onto the maintained road. And so mo- similar again, if the minimum is 50, you need to have at least you know 100 feet of frontage in order to actually subdivide the property. And you have to, re- you have to qualify for both of those requirements. It's not yeah. just one or the other, you have to qualify for both. The thing that I like about this one right off the top is that you have two roadway frontages. And so that just gives you more flexibility in terms of what they call lot configuration. Because in this scenario, you might have one lot that faces 
you know, towards one street. And yeah. then you have another lot that has a house that faces towards the other street and they take their access accordingly. That is a possibility. I look at this one and the one um, street that's going north and south, you know, they may not allow for access, you know, to that side of the street. There's things like that that get more technical. Yeah. But just from a theoretical perspective, you know, I can see a scenario where you can have one lot facing one direction and the other yeah. in the other direction. All right. So you would, you know, get a property under contract like this, mm -hmm. um, maybe give them their asking price, right. um, but contingent on the approval of some entitlements. Right. And then you go through that process. If you can get it approved, then uh, you could sell it to the home builder that is building new homes around here. Exactly right. Yeah. So you're not going to be looking at like the big DR Horton type of, you know, builder, but you're going to be looking at, you know, the local merchant type of regional builder that's buying these and building one-offs here and there. And there's plenty of those guys out there. Do you know anything about cemeteries? Um, in California, at least I know that, uh, stay away from them. Just to, to, it's kind of odd to say, but from an environmental perspective, it, it creates a lot of problems for, for developing next to a cemetery. So I think in this situation, that would probably be the biggest thing that I look at and see what kind of restrictions there might be. I wonder if people, would people buy a house that was next to a cemetery? Yeah, I just, just marketability, I think, is probably your biggest hurdle. So you almost have to take a, a discount off of all of it just to, you know, try and make that work. <laughs> that might be a risk I don't want to take. But this is, yeah, this is fascinating. I mean, there's a lot of vacant land for sale mm -hmm. in the city that these are some good areas. You can even have a scenario where you have a house that's on just on a large lot, you know, and you yeah. can cut that one, you know, into a second lot and do it that way, too. I'm just interesting. And do you do you work with any investors that specifically target vacant lots inside of infill areas inside yeah. of cities? Yeah, absolutely. Certainly do. I mean, I, I work with people that do commercial. I work with people that do, you know, infill lots in, in you know, residential areas. And then also people out on the fringe and then it's people that are doing the hunting stuff too. So it's all, in, you know, everywhere in between. Probably most of my people are right now in that, you know, um, the fringe area or the or the rural. But I do have a couple of people that are looking at large residential developments on 500 acre plus tracks, things like that. Well, this is interesting here because this is a vacant lot in a really good area. And it's next to some residences right here, a shopping mall right here, a church right here. And these look like multifamilies right here. Hmm. And this is a quarter acre lot. They're asking about twenty-seven grand for it. This probably is small that you can only really build one home here, I'd imagine. But do you think a developer, is there anything you can do with this lot to make it more attractive to a developer? Yeah, I, I think the first thing I'm going to look at is what's the current zoning of that lot. And then I want to know what the zoning is of the adjacent ones, because it seems to me like there might be like two to three different zoning designations that are right around there on those different properties. Okay. And so I want to see that. And then I want to see if I can rezone the property either for a development, you know, of myself, whether it be like multifamily or what have you, or even rezoning it and selling it to like that adjacent church. Like a lot of times churches are looking to expand and they want to be able to have that opportunity. And a lot of times in most areas, you have to have something called a conditional use permit to get a church on most in most zones. And if that vacant piece isn't actually have a conditional use permit already granted to it, which it likely doesn't, there's an opportunity to go in there and get that conditional use permit, at least for that church to expand. And now you've actually created value for that church. Could you build another, could you build a multifamily on a quarter acre lot, do you think? 
yeah, you might just have to go tall, you know, so there might be some restrictions on that in terms of building height. But sometimes, again, something like a conditional use permit or similar can allow you to go above those thresholds. That's interesting. Yeah. So like you could try an entitlement for a two-story, three-story multifamily. Right. Like a townhome that could put... I think you'd have enough room for that. Yeah, and it's, it comes down to the, ty- the style of parking, too. So, you know, in a highly urbanized areas, you can do, like, you know, subterranean parking. But, you know, in this kind of environment, the grading costs and everything are probably too extensive. But they have other types of parking where it kind of tucks under the podium in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can do that kind of situation, too, where the garages are actually underneath that. And so there's different ways you can design it to kind of um, really capitalize on what's there. Well, interesting. This is a huge topic that we could talk for hours and hours on. Yeah. (laughs) And hopefully I haven't confused people um, who are are watching this because I think this is fascinating. There's a lot of different things you could do. And obviously, if if you have a deal that you think might be good for this kind of variance or, or entitlement, they can reach out to you. What is it that you guys do, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of what we do is really coaching other investors, you know, so I work a lot with different um, land investors, or people that are coming even from the house flipping world that are just trying to find another way to diversify, add another leg to their business. And so this is a place that they want to go. So we help uh, those kind of folks do that. We help them establish strategies, um, markets that they want to go into, kind of help them establish a marketing plan. But then the biggest value really that we do is doing exactly what we just did now, where when people have deals that they're looking at, trying to find out what that opportunity is, I work with them one-on-one and we go through that whole process and really analyze it down. And that's a lot of what we do. We do that. And we also work with um, uh, real estate brokers, like land brokers and um, commercial brokers as well in the same arena. Nice. And your website is Entitle and Flip dot com and title did i spell it right there you sure did all right and title is spelled e-n-t-i-t-l-e and flip.com and title and flip.com all right so you teach people how to do this but if they have a deal they can and if it's a good deal they can bring it to you maybe yeah absolutely if they have a deal that, that they're working on and they think that there's some opportunity there they can certainly bring it to me um i have people in our group that are primarily focused on funding as well and so there's funding opportunities too if that's something that interests folks too nice yeah cool do you have a a YouTube channel or a blog or a podcast yourself? You know what? Um, we have um, on our website, entitledflip.com, there's a running blog. You can get a lot of everything there. And then also, um, I've just started a new podcast with a partner of mine. It's called The Dirty Real Estate Show. And oh. uh, we have probably about four or five episodes in at this point, but it's really focused on um, the land investor and trying to find ways to add value, whether it be through entitlements or a variety of other type of creative land uses as well. And so we're really focused on the value add component. You know, I, I, I really, you have a picture right here. I'm going to share my screening for <laughs> your website. You have a picture of a property that could go on that little lot I was just showing right there. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. That exact same kind of thing where the, yeah, the parking is kind of up that little driveway you park underneath yeah. and then you get the height out of it. That's exactly what I'd be thinking of. So that's a three-story, that's four stories, the parking lot on the first floor, right? That's correct. And it kind of goes to the side. So people will go in on the side and then turn left to get into their little parking garage. That's correct. And then they have above them either two or three levels where their right. townhome would be. Yep, exactly. Wow, that looks great to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And this, especially right now in this market where, I mean, everybody's, you know, just freaking out because there's not enough affordable housing. You would think counties and cities would be more open to multi-use family 
cheaper family living like this, I guess, right? Yeah, that's very true. I mean, a lot of states are um, enacting legislation to try to streamline the development process to make it quicker, ultimately cheaper to get, you know, housing units on the ground. I mean, there's a lot of areas in the country that have a severe housing shortage. And so California being one of them. And so they're trying to kind of get out of the way as much as possible to get those units on the ground. All right. One more question here. I just thought about, um, again, your website is entitleandflip.com, E-N-T. I-T-L-E and flip.com. Let's talk about real quick. I just stayed in Tampa. Um, the, the, I was going to a conference mastermind thing and the hotel was $500 a night. And this is a hotel I've stayed at before for like $100 a night. Yeah. And they were just busy. I guess it was, uh, everybody's starting to travel again. I found an Airbnb that was $99 a night, just five minutes from there, seven minutes. And um, they had a, it was a normal house, but in the backyard, they kind of made it up nice. And they put one of those little small units, living units, things yeah. in there, right? Yeah. Um, like, a, like a shed, but it was really nice. Yeah. I, I, so I stayed in there. It's really nice. I was surprised, right? Is that something that you see a lot of people, more people doing now these days where they're maybe getting their properties rezoned to add little, what are they called? They're called accessory dwelling units. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So they call that in in many areas. And yeah, it's happening a lot. Places like California, again, are trying to streamline it to where you can basically do it without much of the entitlement process. It's almost what they call a buy right process. And so yeah, you're adding, you know, another living unit at the back of your property that can be rented out, you know, it can't be sold separately, but it can be rented out, where it's not just the the homeowner that's using it. Are people buying land and then putting a bunch of those ADUs? Yeah, depending on the depending on the the circumstances, you know, there's ways to get, you know, to take almost what is a single family house and get four separate units on it with current uh, current laws that are in place in California just recently enacted. You can do that. Yeah, you can do it. It's not it's not done a lot yet because it's so brand new, but yeah, you can do things like that and it's happening in other states too. So that's one of the things that we do too is kind of really keep a pulse on some of the housing legislation that goes through because there's going to be opportunities that come about. Have you seen people doing that in rural areas, you know, where you can get five acres for really cheap and then they're, they're not subdividing it, right? But they're putting mm-hmm. a bunch of these little sheds on there to get and renting them out. Yeah. I mean, in some instances, you can see that like almost like tiny homes, like a tiny yeah. home park in essence. And there's places that are definitely allowing for that. I mean, I know like Joshua Tree here in California, there's some yeah. places in Texas too. Um, some of the places that are more like destination oriented, outdoors oriented, there's a little bit more flexibility a lot of times. But yeah, there's certainly all those kinds of things, a push towards like the shipping container homes, those yeah. kind of things as well. So yeah. Do you have to get entitlement zoning changes for things like that? Sometimes you do, again, depending on the jurisdiction. But if you find the more favorable areas, you know, it's it's going to be, you, you can make it happen without them. And then there's resources online for, you know, if you want to find those kind of opportunities for like the um, shipping containers or, or tiny homes, that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this has been really cool. Mike Marshall cool. from EntitleAndFlip.com. Thanks for being on the podcast. Appreciate it. And if you people want to get a hold of you, just go there. Looks like you've got your contact information. There's contact us. There is information about your blog, uh, your coaching program. You can schedule a free 15-minute call. There's a contact us page there. Nice. Email, phone number, Facebook, Instagram. Are you active on those sites? Especially Facebook, but yeah, Instagram as well, but especially Facebook. We have a pretty large Facebook group growing right now, and so that's been active for a while. Nice. And your blog has information 
Uh, you have a recent video. What is the site plan? Your dirty yeah. real estate show podcast. Yeah. That's a great name. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then your Facebook lives, we talk about subdivisions, subdivisions on the fringe, mm-hmm. uh, love it or hate it. Episode one. What is that about? That's just me kind of showing a piece of property, almost like what we did today and then telling people, Hey, here's the reasons I love it. Or here's the reasons I hate it. Huh. And kind of like a really quick two to three minute chunk. That's super cool. I love that. Yeah. And how often do you do those kinds of shows? Um, you know, I do those things probably like right now it's picking up where I'm doing about one a week of something similar to that. So yeah, it's picking up more now. All right. Very cool. All right. Thanks again, Mike, for being on the show. Again, guys, go to entitleandflip.com. We will see you all later. Thank you, Mike. Thank you.